0: They're not. Uh, they, they're not um, in what we wanted. Sometimes prayers don't. We don't at all get any answers because we we're wanting something and it just didn't evolve. I. I do know. There's. A, I remember a time when I felt God answered my prayer pretty strongly, and it was. It was a, a pivotal moment. It was pretty simple, but it was very important because I remember I was driving along Chapel Street. Um, Michelle was driving our car at the time. I was in the passenger seat, and the car in front of us. Um, uh, Um, Just um, started to divert to the left of what we assumed was just the park. Um, So we just continued on our normal path and continued the normal speed. Um, And as we continued, the car wasn't actually parking on the side of the road. He was doing a U-turn And it was as we approached him, we were too late to put on the brakes. He obviously not looked in his rear vision mirror or side mirror to see there was an actual car. He's probably, you know, listening to radio and just lost himself. And he just thought, oh, I've got to turn around. I forgot something. And he's gone to turn around. And I remember Michelle diverging, diverting, diverting, diverting. This car just kept on coming. I think, buddy, can't you see us? And I was in the passenger seat and the nose of the car is literally just approaching us as we go around. You know, the timing, you know, the, you see this precision, you know, the precision um, used to be at the show. They used to have these precision holding, holding cars. So they'd all, you know, do crisscross and they all just miss each other by inches. Well, it was like that. Okay. And so as we go around and to this day, I don't know how we didn't, the car didn't hit us. I don't know how that happened. But I do remember feeling, looking at Michelle, and we both f- said and thought the same thing at the same time. I just think we've experienced. God's protection I just think right there God's something's happened right there at that moment we've experienced and and then uh, then we had the thought well you know what that's answered prayer uh, because uh, not that we'd prayed that prayer that day to be honest but that we'd pray that prayer often it's God just protect us as we go into this day and you know it's a, it's a joy and a real hope when we ha- when you have prayer that's answered like that because it could have ended up in a massive mess especially with me on the passenger side and the car smashing into us you know maybe maybe it was god's miraculous hand um that that somehow done it i don't know but you know you're just thankful at those moments but we're surprised by the as i said by the answers because sometimes when we do pray the answers don't seem to come in our time frame or our on our diary list you know god why aren't you um sometimes god doesn't seem to have the same diary list as us um surprise surprise <laughs> but i want to tell you the list he has for you of the things he wants to accomplish are all good they're all good so um th- there was an indian politician uh slash activist mahatma gandhi he died uh, he was born about 1848 and he died in the early 1900s but he said this i love this he says you know what i never lose i just win or learn and uh I think that's the reality. When we honestly and humbly uh, spend time talking with God, it's never a waste of time. It's never a loss. Um, it's always a win or an opportunity for us to learn something. See, I've got this sense that when we spend time in prayer um, and we ask particularly, God, can you just sort this one out? And the way God responds to us, but the way we respond to the way God responds to us, whether it's a yes or a no, or a maybe, or a yes, or whatever it may be, the way we respond to God tells us and teaches us more about ourselves than it does about God. Because the way we respond determines in life whether maybe we're going to have pain or we're going to have peace. And it all starts with just that, um, just coming before Him and talking to Him um, to be honest, prayer really is a strong reflection of where our relationship with God is, Because he loves to communi- he loves to spend time with us and communicate. Uh, you might think, "How can this nonverbal God it's seemingly, most of the time?" is nonverbal to us, how could he ever enjoy our company? He, he, loves to, and he loves to spend that time because I think a lot of the times when I'm praying and crying out to the God about this and this and this, it's often he, he loves the opportunity to reflect back to me how I need to change and do something in my life. And maybe one of the reasons we don't sometimes pray is because we, we don't always like, we know what the answers would be and that may, in regard, it may be that we have to do something we have to shift some thinking or shift some attitudes or so today i want to introduce to you a lady called henna that's a great name isn't it no henna's this morning no i don't think so but a great lady who prays she prays a prayer that really did change everything for her life everything for her life and um her prayer came out of pain but it ended in peace Okay, and, and in the end, it wasn't even about the answer that was so important, but it was about about the peace that she received through her prayer. And it's an incredible story. Now, I, I want to read it to you. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and it's a story about this lady. There's some other characters in the story. But I, as I read the text, I will then want to give you some context to that text. Because sometimes there's implicit things and explicit things about Scripture. In other words, explicit are things that are very, very um, much able to read and say, oh, yeah, I can gather that, I can see that. Implicit, there's things that the text doesn't directly say, but you can pull out and you can see the reality and the truth of that. So I want to give you some context around it. Is that cool? So let's read this story this morning about about Hannah's life and her story. And I want to start in verse 2. Because verse 1's got too many long words for it for me to pronounce. Is that cool? So verse 2. Here we go. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. The New uh, International Version. He had two sons. Who's the he? It's the husband. So he had two wives. Did I say sons? I'm just seeing if you're awake. (laughs) He had two wives. Who's the he? It's Elkanah. He's the husband. Elkanah. One was named Hannah, and the the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had how many? None. Zero. Zilch. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophion and Phinehas, the two sons of Elo are priests of the Lord. So you've got to get the context of this. Israel has now come through the desert. They've come into the promised land. They've settled in that area of Israel where present-day Jerusalem is, in that whole, you know, that whole area, and uh, so no longer do they have to take the the temple of God and put it up and put it down in the desert and move on, no, 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 they've established it at a place called Shiloh. I was there in January, had an incredible place and just that's where they believe they set up the temple uh, in a permanent way, the the temple that came out of the desert, which was um, portable of course. So this man, uh, see Jewish people three times a year were required to go to the temple or go to Shiloh and sacrifice and worship God there. So every Jewish family had to do that. And so Elkanah and his family would do that. Um, and it says here, year after year, they went up to the town, his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Verse 4, whenever the day came, when, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, because they had to take turns. It's like registering your name here at the front and taking a ticket. You've got to wait because there's a lot of Israel, Jewish families who wanted to do this. So whenever, his, um, whenever the day came for Elkanah's sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat, because there was um, food to his wife, uh, Peniah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to, initiate, to irritate her. That would have made for a great family atmosphere, wouldn't it? Two women in the one family, and one wants to irritate the other. Verse 7 This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Why don't you just keep quiet, Elkanah, and listen to the lady? And all these questions. Don't I mean more to you than ten wives? Oh, sorry, ten sons? Just checking. Here is a husband who has no understanding of his wife, Hannah. All the questions. Just let her answer one of them, Elkanah. But, you know, aren't I more to you than than, sons? Uh, He's dreaming. Uh, Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her anguish, deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember... This is her prayer. Remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life for no razor will ever be used on his head. That's significant. No razor will be ever used on his head. Now, I won't read the next verses. I'll just skip several verses, not because I want to. But there's a, what happens is Eli, the priest, is seeing um, a henna pour out a heart... And pray, but he thinks she's drunk because she's so emotional. Um, and then Hannah says, "No, I'm not drunk. I'm not drinking. I'm just, uh, you know, there's this heartache I have. There's this prayer, and and so I'm pouring my heart out to God. And and Eli understands. And so then he answers in verse 17. We'll go to of the same chapter one of one Samuel. Eli answered, "Well, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him." She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer what? Downcast. Take note of that. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And everyone said, hurrah yes <laughs> she had a child more than that she had a son too she had a son so i call this family the nah family elkanah penaniah and henna i think i don't know who invented their names but anyway there you go um penaniah was the one who bore the children henna was the one who was childless elkanah was the husband so we see in this story henna is sad she's sorrowful uh, for many different reasons um and some of them are implicit that means you can't see them straight away but some of them are explicit you can one of the reasons that uh, that the why is the nature of why is she sorrow sorrowful is she sad for this because she's unhappy because i think she's in a polygamous marriage that means she is not the only woman in the marriage come on um not the only woman some people say oh look the bible talks about polygamy in the bible Oh, that must be acceptable by God. No, folks, it's not acceptable. <laughs> just because the Bible has it in there doesn't mean the Bible says it's acceptable. Have you ever seen anybody in a polygamous marriage? It's, anywhere in the Bible where they mention polygamy, where there's a couple wives, it's always heartache. There's always heartache. <laughs> so God's not... Sometimes people say, oh, look, the Bible's Bible is actually uh, saying that, look, they're agreeing with this type of style of living. No, they're not. They're just stating it. It's not that they agree with it. Just thought I'd add that. Is that cool? Yeah. You just got a bit extra than the, the, the group at the start did, the 830 service did. Um, here we go. So why is she unhappy? She's unhappy because she's got another rival. She's got another woman in, the, in her life, in her husband's life. The second reason that is more, more of the reason why she's unhappy in sorrow is, is he's, she's not living up to the cultural ideals of the Jewish community. You see, the cultural ideas, ideals of the Jewish community were this, to have babies. If there was one thing a good Jewish lady did, was have babies and have as many as possible, within reason. Okay? And that's why they had big families sometimes. Um, the, the truth is, having more children produced more um, workers that produced a better economy for your nation. Okay? Especially Israel had moved out of the desert. You might have said, "Oh, they had enough people," but remember, they broke into twelve tribes, and so you just got a little. These tribes have broken up, and they're trying to produce. They're trying to establish their nation again, and so more children done that. More children meant that, as a parents, as you got older, your children would look after you. If you go to, if you fly into Tel Aviv or, or Jerusalem today, it's that's still the culture of the Jewish family, because. The mum and dad will build the first layer of the house. And then when the kids grow up, have their kids, when the kids grow up, they build another floor on their house. And that's where the first child with his pa- spouse or her spouse will live. And then when the next child you know, is married, they'll build another floor. And then another floor. If you go into dri- drive into Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, you've got these square shaped houses. There's nothing flash about them. They're all very neat. But they're just boxes and they've got different levels depending on how many kids you have. So it was a part of Jewish culture, maybe not as much as it was back here, three and a half thousand years ago, but it was part of Jewish culture that the reality was is that you had children and that women were to have children because it was good. Also, you've got to appreciate this, more sons, more soldiers. And there was a lot of armies out there that wanted to come in and take over your nation and squash you or maybe even, um, you know, uh, colonize you. And so if you're a certain tribe, you wanted to have as many sons so you could have as many soldiers to defend your your territory. Understand? So children were important. Um, Children were high priority for Jewish women to have And if you were having children, it was going to be good for you, and it was also going to be good for the nation. So, I say that to say this, how does Hannah respond in regards to this sorrow? She's sorrowful because she can't, of course, uh, have children. But, well, we, we need to see, the best way for us to see how Hannah responds is to first see what she does not do. Sometimes when you read Scripture, you read, you read the things that you see, but you need to see what they're not doing as well, and that can tell you what's really happening in the story. And that's what happens here. Because Hannah has two voices, two voices that want to speak to her. The first voice is, of course, Penaniah, her rival, who continually wants to provoke her because she can't have children. As I said, not, doesn't make for a very happy family or household. The second voice is her husband. Her husband, Elkanah, um, was the one who loved Henna, didn't he? That's what it says in Scripture. He loved Henna. And, and, and we see that love. Um, it, it, this means Elkanah loved Hennah. And if he loved Henna, he doesn't state that in Scripture. It's probably he loves her more than Penaniah. Okay? So it's interesting. In other words, Elkanah was saying, Penaniah is having the children, but Henna, I'm actually in love with you. Okay, so we see there's two voices. The first voice is simply the voice of her rival, Penaniah. The second voice is of her husband's love. And we'll talk about that in a moment. It's interesting to note that Hannah doesn't answer either voice. Okay, she doesn't respond to either voice. Both of the voices are saying this. You can be happy, Hannah. You can be happy. The first voice is saying you can be happy. One way is have children you 'll be happy if you have children. Second voice: just receive your husband 's love that 's what will make you happy and in the Jewish culture that 's what made generally Jewish women were all about. If you have children, be happy because that 's what you 're fulfilling the important role of a, of a mother for the nation and for yourself and a bonus would be if your husband actually loves you you 're going to be doubly happy then so Either way, she doesn't respond to these voices. You'll notice in that she doesn't answer them; she doesn't respond. So, here, so what does Hannah? So, what 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 does she do? What does she do? Well, once again, before we say what she did do, is something she didn't do. Again, and it's very important. Think about this: if henna had responded to the spite, uh, uh, sorry, to Penaniah out of spite, if she said. Hey, you know, um, Penaniah, uh, I know you have children, but you know what? Elkanah, our husband, actually loves me. And, and Elkanah, the truth is uh, sorry, Penaniah, the truth is we have some pretty romantic nights together. Um, something I don't think you have. And, 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 uh, and, you know, can you imagine that would have just upped the ante? Just imagine Hannah responding spitefully like that. Imagine what that would do to your soul to live in a house, household where you're just spiteful and just retaliation. I know that Hannah's been copying it. She's been provoked. She's been told you can't have children. She's reminded all the time. But for what we see is she doesn't respond to Penaniah in the same kind of way that Penaniah talks to her. And I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, we need to be aware of that. We need to be careful that we don't fight back. We don't have spite. Uh, You know, there may be some things in your life this very day that you just want to fight back. You want to state some things. You want to, you know, make, you know, put your foot down and say what you think. You know, sometimes it's not wise because all it does is destroys your soul. All it does is destroy your family. All it does is destroy your life. And I think Hannah understood this. And so she doesn't respond because it would have been a terrible thing for her to spitefully come back at her Penaniah because it would create created jealousies, it would have created hatred, ill-directed competition, everything like that. So the first thing that Hannah doesn't do is she doesn't listen to the voices. Maybe today, in the midst of what you face, you need to stop listening to the voices you need to stop listening to the voices that continually want to say, you know, you'll be happy if you have this. You'll be happy if you do that. Just like it was for Henna. You'll be happy. You know, they were saying, if only you had children, Hannah, you'd be really happy. If, You know, henna, if you received your husband's love, you'll be really happy. Just be thankful that he loves you. But she doesn't respond to that. She doesn't... Um, And I think in life, the world continually says to us, if only you had more of something, you'd be happy. You'd be really happy. If you had more things, you'd be happy. If you had more people who liked you, you'd be happy. Will you? Would you? Hmm. I don't know about that. What does Hannah do? Well, what she does is revealed in verse 9 of what we read. So let's look at it for a moment, just verse 9. Here's one of those things that you've got to understand. Bible scholars often talk about um, little things called idioms or metaphors in Scripture. And what they are, is they're a statement or a thought that is, that's saying a lot more than what it really is saying. And there's two words in this verse, if you look at this verse up here. And it says, um, now, um, when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah done something. What did she do? She stood up she stood up you might say oh does that mean she just got up out of the seat and started to walk well she did possibly do that but that's not what stood up means stood up means it's an idiom or a metaphor which means to take charge it's for henna it was a giddy it was a saying i've had enough of the voices that try to speak into my head i'm going to um, take charge of that I, I'm, I'm not i'm going to stop being passive i'm going to be active going to do something about this and that's what those two little words uh mean uh directly mean she took charge she stopped being passive she no longer i'm going to allow voices come at me and rule my head space so we see what does she do now she's going to be active she's going to she's going to go and tell pen and i what she thought of her she's going to go to her husband and say i you know give me children or, or i'll die no 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 what does she do she prays that's novel, isn't it? Praying. Have you thought of that one today? It's a good thing to do. She talks to God. Verse 11. And it says, let's look at verse 11 again. It says, Lord Almighty. Here's the prayer of Henna. If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Okay. When you read this verse oh sorry read this prayer it can seem like she is bargaining with god she's saying i have a new way of getting children out of this god and so uh what i'll do is um i'll just say if you give me a son or give me a child, give me a son, at least. Um, I'll give him back to you, and he'll go and live in the temple from a very early young age, from when he can no longer uh, when he's weaned off the breast, he'll actually go to the temple and he'll be yours. And, and you know, if you do that, I'll, if you give me a son, I'll do that. You know. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? No, oh good, that's really good. <laughs> Sometimes we live marriage like that. We're in our marriage. We think, if my wife does this or my husband does this, then I will follow through with this. You know, if, if she cooks me a decent meal every night, I'll mow the lawn occasionally. Or we, we can have this all the other way around. If, if he looks after the house, I'll cook a meal. You know, we have this 50-50 relationship. I tell you what, it won't. It, it's not a good healthy way to live a relationship with a bargaining chip. If I do this, she, now we might never verbalize that, but sometimes we think it. If we're going to talk about marriage, it's 100%, 100% on both sides. You know, it's just, you know, you give, you know. Now, if your, your partner or spouse is not giving back, that's when you have a conversation and say, hey, you know, what are you up to? I'm not here expecting it. I'm giving out. But, you know, we've got to love each other here. Anyway, that's another story. So, anyway, Hannah, is Hannah bargaining with God? She's not bargaining with God at all. And I want to show you why. I want to show you why she isn't bargaining with God. Because it really looks like she is. You know, God, if you give me a son, I'll do this. If Hannah was trying to bargain with God, then we would see this succession of events in her life. We would see prayer, pregnancy, peace. We would see her prayer and then her ex- then then she would fall pregnant and then after she falls pregnant then i'll have peace in my life but i won't have peace until they get the pregnancy you know we can sometimes be like that in life that's not that's not what happened with Hannah, but because we see in verse 18 it, it says here let's look at verse well verse 18 says that when she went her way, she ate something and her face was no longer what downcast the word downcast is literally meaning she had peace and it was long before she had the pregnancy so for henna she'd come to a point in her life where it wasn't prayer pregnancy peace it was prayer peace pregnancy whenever god may you know give me that child it was peace first and i wonder how your prayers unfold for you is there god this is what i need there's nothing wrong wrong with passion. Be as passionate as you like. But then allow the peace of God to settle on your hearts. Or maybe you don't have peace, you don't have rest. You're just always weary. Maybe it's because you haven't surrendered it in prayer that you have the turmoil and the unrest and the anxiety. But when we and sometimes we even pray. But you've got to work at that sometimes, and you've got to pray again because the anxiety wants to rise up. <laughs> oh God, I'm still feeling this. No, pray again. God wants to get you to a point where you have got prayer, peace, and whatever else your request may be. If it happens, I want to show you something about Hannah. She, you see, if she, uh, you see, if we get our request now, we can have peace now. Um, that is prayer, pregnancy, then peace. I want my request, and then I'll have peace. But not for Hannah, because it worked around. And, and, and of course, as I said, uh, downcast means she was at peace long before she ever got pregnant. And, and I, um, I, I just want to encourage this. Don't be a pregnancy-filled person before you're a peace-filled person. And whatever that may mean for you, pregnancy, it may be your request of God. Well, God, this should happen. This should happen. This should happen. And God, until it happens, there's no real peace for me in this situation. I find that a concern, folks. I think God wants to turn that around. And he wants to say, you know, whatever your situation is, bring it to me. Cry out to me. Get emotional about it. Present it before me. But in the midst of that, I want to present something to you that's peace. So that that you don't have to worry about the answer. Let me do that. And that's the kind of God we serve, and that's the kind of prayer Hannah had. Now you may say, "Is that for sure? Is that what really happened with Hannah?" Because when Hannah says in verse eleven, "God, give me a son," she was not—I want to say—stated again. She was not bargaining with God because of the vow she'd made. It was not a bargaining chip. It was a surrendered heart that reflected, which reflected a surrendered heart to God. She was surrendering. I've got to give you some context around Hannah's situation. The context is, is that you'll notice when Hannah says to God, "God, this young man, his hair will never be cut." Do you know what she was doing? She was making a vow to God. It was called a Nazarite vow. This is one of those implicit things that you don't see in the Scripture, but you kind of see. She was making a vow to God. If you were to, you could become a Nazarite in two ways: either born as a Nazarite, or you make a Nazarite vow and you become a Nazarite. And a Nazarite was a person who continued, who was a person who was given totally to the service and the purposes of God. That's what Hannah done with little, eventually with the little boy she gave birth to, Samuel. Totally given to the... The other, um, the other um, vows that you made in relation to becoming a Nazarite, well a couple of them, there was others, was that you'd never have your hair cut and you'd never, have al- never drink alcohol. And so, in that way, Hannah was making a vow to God about her son and saying, this, He's going to be a Nazarite, totally committed to your service, God, if you give me this son. Can you understand if that's the truth, that Hannah wouldn't be able to have a son that would actually look after her in her old age? Because he would be, he'd have to be in the temple serving God. Hannah wouldn't be able to be named among the women who had a son that was ready to fight for Israel. Her identity couldn't be based upon, well, I've got a son because he's not living with her. See, so, you see, can you see all of these things that Hannah didn't have That if she had, she couldn't have the the opportunity to hug and kiss and have emotional, uh, you know, strength from her, draw it from her children. Because her child would not be there, even from a very young age, her child would be in the temple. So she had nothing of that. And if she was trying to bargain with God, do you think she'd say that to God? No, (laughs) because she wants the child for herself, not for God's service. So Hannah's prayer was not a bargaining chip. It was a surrendered heart. And I want to just say how hey, we pray. God, I, I think so often, sometimes when we pray for certain things or certain stuff, isn't God maybe just saying to you, look, I think God actually keeps you from a life of misery when He doesn't give you some of the things that you ask for. I know some of the things I've asked for, I'm glad in hindsight that He didn't give me because it would have made me miserable. I want to show you something about Henna here. Um, let's, just, let's just paraphrase Henna's prayer It could be said this way, God, all my life, Lord, I wanted a child for me. I still want to participate in childbearing, but now that child is not for me, but it's for you, God. It's a difference, isn't it? And here's another way of saying it, Lord, if you had given me a child before this time, I would have only been living up to the culture of the ideal, producing children like the Jewish nation asked us to do, and I could have finally... And I could have, you know, I could have finally been, had some identity and other women would say, oh, you know, um, how blessed are you to have a son. That would have been a disaster, God, because I would have been wanting the child for me and not for you. And sometimes when we pray our prayers or requests, could, could you see that sometimes your request is all about you? And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you said, God, I want to participate in this, and this is my desire. But in the end, God, I want to trust you, and that really it's about you and not me. It's about me surrendering to you, and that you, because you've got the best outcome for me, can I not trust you? And the answer is you should, certainly can, whatever the outcome, whatever the answer may be. You know, and so we can have this Hannah was saying, if you give me a child, I'm redirecting my desire for a child, not for me. But now it's for you, God. And that means, God, if the child was for me, how you answer my prayer means everything. Because I wouldn't be able to have peace until I had a child. But because I'm asking for a child for you, and how you answer my prayer is is fine with me, because I'm not looking to the result, God, now. I'm trusting you now, God. And a child or not is not going to give me peace, because after I've prayed, I'm going to have the peace. And then whatever happens after that, I'm going to trust you for. Wow, that's a different prayer. That's a different attitude. That's a different thought. And so often, I think God draws us to himself and wants to see if we're willing to engage him to that level of commitment and response and love for him as he would love us. You see... Hannah lives in peace because it was a prayer. Can the team come? Hannah lived in um, peace because she first prayed. She had peace. And if it happened, then pregnancy. It wasn't the other way around. And I suppose my challenge today is, do we live after praying? Do we live after the prayer? Do we live for for the thing we want? And then if we get it, we get peace? Or do we have peace when we've prayed? And then we leave the rest up to God and trust Him. It's, it's a different thing. It's, it's a different understanding. And it's a different way that we can do life. See, how about you? Is your life dictu- dictated to by what I can get from God or what I can give to God? And the greatest thing you can give to God is a surrendered life because your life in His hands makes for a peace-filled life. For a peace-filled life when we surrender it to Him. Can we stand this morning one more time? I always... uh, Many, many years ago, my precious sisters would buy me... um, uh, For my birthday, they'd send scratches to me in the mail. Do you know what scratches are? You know, there's things you scratch off and you can win if you get three of them you can win fifty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars and you know as a christian i kind of never bought them i just didn't think it was worth it i didn't you know but when they send them to me i would i kind of shoot up this prayer to god and say oh god i didn't buy it you know so you know this one's fifty thousand can i scratch it off and so i if but you know i'd make this little prayer in my mind god if you give me the fifty I'll you know I'll use it for your kingdom. So is that cool? It was the bargaining prayer, you know, and we could do that. But you know what? I think you know I'd scratch it off, and there was probably on three occasions when I was sent scratches in the mail. I didn't buy them, but anyway, I did enthusiastically scratch them. And it's amazing how many times I actually didn't win. It's amazing how many t- in actual fact I never won. I, I gather you'd probably have to buy statistically about a thousand of them to ever win anything, so I never thought it was really worth it. But you know what? God doesn't want your bargaining. He just wants your heart. He wants you to surrender. There's nothing wrong with your requests so often, but as long as we're willing to let Him have to deal with the answers and trust Him in the answers, and He draws you to Himself because He wants you to have a victory and not... because He has the best interest for your life. He's got the best purposes, but it's surrendering sometimes. Can I just pray for you this morning? Um, because because for some of us, that this may be just such a struggle. God, I, unanswered prayer, or why isn't it happening? Or what's happening? I pray that you can see in the context of Hannah's life how, how it goes with God, how, what he wants you to do. So let me pray. Father, today, I thank you that you're a God that incredibly loves humanity. You love us. I've never doubted that, but if there's anybody here today that does, I pray that you reveal yourself. And then, Lord, in the midst of that, you have the very best purposes and plans for our lives. I'm ever so aware of myself, Lord, not surrendering sometimes those things to you and living out of my wants and living out of my requests. But help me, help us today to, Lord, when we pray, to allow your peace to envelop our hearts so that we can have such a peace that, Lord, whatever the answer, we would trust you with, whether it's a yes or no or maybe or later. God, we just commit that to you today. Father, I pray that we'd be a people that would, you know, yield those areas to you all the time. You know, in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. One last thought today. I shared this uh, this morning, but... uh, And some of you know this story. When my wife fell pregnant, she was four months pregnant, we found out, the doctor said, Oh, your child has, has a high percentage chance, like mega big chance of actually having some something like Down syndrome or spina bifida. This was our first child. And so after we went home and cried with each other, we cried out to God. But you know, when we cried out to God, I want to tell you something supernatural happened. Because as we surrendered it to him, and I am not good at this, but I want to tell you there was something amazing happened that time, that, that, that process in our hearts, that we had forgotten. So much had we forgotten what the, the gynecologist had said to us about your baby having a high percentage chance of these diseases or sicknesses. When the, our little girl was born, we never even had that thought, it had gone from our minds. It wasn't some hours later that I thought, oh, that's right. <clears throat> this child was supposed to be, have this problem and this problem. But it never happened. I want to tell you, that's a supernatural peace. For the next five months of that pregnancy, it never troubled us. And I think, God, how can that be? How can that happen in life? I want to tell you, <clears throat> as you pray, allow His Holy Spirit and peace envelop your heart. You can know that you know that God's got it and we can trust Him, whatever the answer. <clears throat> Have you got to that level yet? I pray that you will. Have a great day. We're going to sing this song one more time as we finish this morning. We just, uh, let's be thankful. Let's sound the victory trumpet this morning, whatever it may be. If today you need to let faith rise in your heart for something, may that be the case as we just sing this song today. Thank you. May be for When the darkness falls, it won't prevail Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph And my God will never fail Cause my God will never fail I'm gonna see the victory every really?